Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, if you would please go to Romans chapter 6 tonight. A good chapter for us to look at. Title tonight, Victory and Freedom. Victory and Freedom. Romans is one of my favorite books. A lot of good uh, doctrine in it, a lot of good... Uh, meat, if you will, spiritual meat and things there that are good. And tonight we're going to look uh, at, a, at a chapter, Romans chapter 6, that deals with sin, that deals with a very important question for the believer, for the Christian. Some of you may have a Bible that's similar to mine. It may The, the question that is there uh, may be in your Bible written out as it is in mine. It just says, shall we continue in sin? That's above the actual chapter. Of course, that question is within the text itself. Uh, but I have uh, kind of a breakdown of it here in my Bible, some uh, uninspired portions, if you will, of, the, of this scripture. And that question is at the top there. And that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. But victory and freedom. And I think if we were honest, and I won't ask you to raise your hand for this, obviously. But I think if we were honest with each other tonight, that we would probably say that there's times in our lives still today where we say things or we do things. And then we're like, oh, man, I just... And we feel like, man, I just can't get victory over this. I can't get freedom through this. Or I just, mm, I really wish I hadn't said that. I really wish I hadn't done that. I really wish I hadn't seen that. You know, there's times in our lives where we, we maybe we still feel a little bit way down. And Paul did too. He tells us later on at the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8, that he has the same struggle back and forth. But, but, but praise the Lord that before he gets to that point and then after, at the first verse of Romans chapter 8, he tells us the key to having victory and freedom as Christians, to living in light of the victory and freedom that Christ has already won for us. And that we can put those things aside, that we can live a new and renewed life, that we can live the Christian life that God wants us to live here on earth uh, without having that hanging over us all the time. There is hope. And that's what we want to kind of look at tonight in Romans chapter 6 is the hope that is found there for the Christian living in this present life. As we look through the doctrine of, doctrine, excuse me, of grace and we find that freedom from God's Word this evening. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to begin by just reading the whole text and then we'll pray one more time because I need some help tonight because I always need help in expounding God's Word because I don't want to say something wrong. I don't want to say something that's my opinion. And, you know, we want to see what God has for us tonight and not what Tommy Knight has for us tonight. That's the important thing is what God has for us. So let's begin reading in verse number 1 of Romans chapter 6. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if you've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God." Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants unto uncleanliness, unto iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, we thank you for this evening again. We pray again that you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word, God, and ask today that you would give me the words to speak, God, that they be your words and not my own. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we begin looking in Romans chapter 6, right at the very beginning, there's the question. But if we don't look back a little bit first, we kind of wonder where this question came from or how it came about. And many of us have maybe we're familiar, we know about it, we've already seen it, but let's go back and look anyway at where this question sprang from and why Paul is answering it in this way. Look back with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. We just want to take a little bit of time and examine this portion of Scripture as well. It says, Moreover, the law entered. See, what's going on again here, he's saying, we need to, are we going to continue in our sin? Are we going to, what are we going to do? And so Paul has to go back and kind of say, hey, listen, this is what the law is for. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to go back a little bit and see why Paul is, is getting into this question in the first place, Okay. And that is Paul's going and he's saying, okay, before he gets here, what is the law for? The law entered that the offense may abound. Without the law, sin still exists. Without the law, sin still exists. And this was given so that the offense might abound, so that God's grace would be even more clearly demonstrated. It would be even more abundant. Like the word in my uh, uninspired portion at the bottom here says, superabundant. The superabundant grace of God, that it would be shown and demonstrated more clearly by having that law added in. Now, the thing is, the law entered that, this, that it may be abounded, but it's still there from the beginning. Look back a few extra verses into chapter 5. At verse 13 and 14. 
And it says this, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now, this is an important uh, concept. This is an important doctrine. This is an important thing in Scripture. That we are not sinners because we sin. Okay, get this. Because here's, here's what's happening, okay? The law that is in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why was death reigning from Adam to Moses? There was no law given until Moses. Why was it all going on? Why? Because there is the sin nature that everyone is born with. The sin is not there because we did something wrong and now we're sinners. The sin is there because we are born with it. We are born in that way. And what's being said here in these verses is that there was not a specific sin that a person was charged with until the law came. But sin was there and they were charged with being sinners. When the law came, then there are the specific sins that we see. There are the things, the violations, like the Ten Commandments, for example, and those things that come into play. And that is what makes, in verse 20, the offense abound even more. Because before the law came, Adam to Moses, before the law came, all the people then were also sinners because they are born in sin. And they were held accountable for being sinful people. When the law came, look over at Romans chapter 7 and verse number 7. Romans 7, 7. You see, the law entered to teach us this, and it makes the offense abound even more. And this is important coming into uh, our discussion out of chapter 6. It says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. The law teaches what the sin is. And Paul goes on to say this, I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And there are specific things I think some people struggle with more than others. Some things in here tonight you're going to struggle with and someone else sitting right beside you is not going to struggle with. But these are specific things. And when the law enters, not only are we sinners because we're born that way, but now we have a specific charge laid to our account. It's covetousness. It's lust. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those are the three things there in the Scripture, the three main things that, that cause people to go after sin. And so Paul is saying here, that the offense abounds more because the law has come in and pointed out what that is. Now, I'm saying all of this stuff for a reason, and here's what it is. There was a false teaching at this time going through Rome, and the Jews, some of the Jews are the ones kind of put it out there, and others were latching onto it. They were saying this. If the law causes our sin to abound and God's grace abounds more, then why don't we continue living the way that we did before we were saved? Why don't we just keep going on the way we were before? Why do we have to change? Why is there a change that's necessary? Why, are, why is Paul saying in other places in Scripture that our new life requires us to live a different way after salvation than it does before salvation? Why don't we just continue living in sin because then God's grace will be abounded even more and more and it, it's a circular reasoning thing. They say, hey, if I sin more, God's grace is more and then I have to sin more so that God's grace is more and it keeps going around and around and Paul says, no, do not live that way anymore. You don't have to live that way. You shouldn't live that way anymore. And that's why Paul is answering this question. 
that's why he starts this chapter off. He says, shall we continue then? Shall we just continue because God's grace is going to abound? And he says, no, don't live that way anymore. Don't live the way we did before we were saved. You don't have to. And that's what he's going to get into later in the chapter. You don't have to live that way anymore. That's the hope. That's the freedom. That's the victory. Salvation is by grace and not by the law. Romans 3.20. Romans 3.20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We know what the law is. We know what the sin is because we have seen it in the law. We've seen that specific violation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not in that way. And so to continue living in some circular reasoning way of trying to uh, make God's grace abound more and more by continuing to live the way you did before you were saved is wrong thinking. It's a perversion of the doctrine of grace. And Paul says, don't do it anymore. Don't live that way anymore. Live in victory. Live in freedom because you can. And that's the important thing tonight that we're going to look at. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6, back in chapter 6. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we continue to live that way? We're dead to sin. Now here's what we should look at and really see. And maybe your translation says this, and maybe not, but died to sin is a better way of looking at that than dead to sin. Because here's the thing. We all got to wake up in the morning, do we not? And we all have to live in this world still as long as the Lord allows us to. And every day there are things around us, okay? If we're being honest with ourselves, every day there are things around us that tempt us and pull us away and make us want to do something other than what God wants us to do or do something different than what would be right for a Christian. But we're dead to it. We died to sin, meaning this, that sin cannot have an influence and a power over us anymore. It doesn't have to. Death is separation, right? When a person dies, they're separated from everyone that's alive. And there, there's very little, there's nothing really that a, that, a, that a person can do to really influence what that dead person is going to do or not going to do because they're dead. They're separated from all that's living. There's no more influence over it. In other words, this, they're not going to get a traffic ticket. And I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to be cruel with saying this kind of, okay, they're not going to get a traffic ticket. They're not going to get a cold. That body is not going to get a cold. Do you see what I'm saying? There's things in our life that have influence over us that no longer do once we're dead. And sin is one of those things. So we reckon ourselves, listen, when we're alive in Christ, we're dead to sin. It no longer has that influence over us. It no longer has that power. It no longer has that control over us. It can't tell us what to do anymore. We're separated from it. We're separated from the power that sin had over us before salvation. And Paul says, walk in that way now. Walk in that newness now because we're spiritually alive. Look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. We're a part of Christ now. Our identity is in Christ. And as we are baptized, it's a picture of that when they go down in the water, a picture of that death. And that separation from the old life, 
It's a picture of that, you know, the actual separation, but the, the picture of it under, they're buried and back up. And so live in that same way because that old nature has died. We're buried in that. Believers died to sin. When Christ died on the cross, our sin was crucified there. Our old nature was crucified in death, and it means that we no longer have that. The moment we accepted Christ as Savior, this all happened. And that's what the response, that's why Paul says, God forbid, in verse 2. Look at verse number 4. Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism, buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And the baptism here is, is either the literal baptism, of course. Uh, is part of it, or also being a, becoming a part of the body of Christ. We're separated from that old life, and now we have a new life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one, so also is Christ. We're baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized into the, the body of believers all together. And that uh, spiritual baptism, that baptism in the new life there, separates us, takes that old man away, and when we come back up out of the water, it's a picture of the new life. We now walk with Jesus Christ. The old nature has died. We're no longer a follower of death. We're no longer a follower of Satan. We're now a follower of Christ. Our identity is in Him now. And that habitual over and over and over Can have an end. We don't have to do that anymore. Verse number six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. He says, knowing this, knowing what? Knowing all the things we've talked about so far. Knowing that to be baptized with Christ, to, 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 be, to have your old nature be counted as dead, to be uh, separated from that, to be uh, walking in the newness of life. Knowing all those things now that we know, here's what we go on to. Our old man is crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20a. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That body of sin there in verse number 6 could mean literally uh, sins that are committed with the body. But it also has the idea of all that sin that we carry before salvation, all that stuff that we have around, that body of sin, that old nature, that way we used to live, that way we used to have to live before salvation, it's all dead, it's all behind, it's all counted as, as dead. And it's separated now. All of sin's power, all of sin's influence in a Christian's life can be no more and is no more because of the victory that we receive through Jesus Christ. And we henceforth no longer serve that sin. Destroyed, meaning this, the sin nature that we had in us before has become powerless. So when the temptation comes or when the, when the uh, uh, momentary uh, things come in our life that cause us to uh, say or do or, or speak or see something that we know we shouldn't see or speak or say or do, we don't have to obey it anymore because we're separated from it. We're not under the power of it anymore. It's been made powerless. It's destroyed. We can live separated because He died and rose again. Verse 7. Verse 7. 
For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's, that's another thing. And Paul's speaking here literally as well. That's another thing that a dead person no longer is influenced by. There's, there's nothing that can tempt a dead person to sin because they're dead. They, they're, they're free from that. So while we are living like we are living in Christ, count it that our old nature is dead and cannot be influenced in the same way as it did before. We don't have to do those things. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 8, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Christ only had to die one time. And that power of sin and death that has over us, it dies with our salvation when our new life comes in. And we are also a part of that. We're baptized into that. We become a part of that. And it no longer can control us. So don't live that way anymore. Don't continue to be in that same way as we were before. Live a different way. And here's the good news here in verse 10 as well. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He's alive forevermore. And that because he is alive, we have that blessed hope. We have that promise of having eternal life. We live in him. And we will have eternal life one day because of him. And that old demand is behind us. Now those are all the things there. The, the, the reality of sin is that our old nature that we had before, an, an unsafe person, it's a part of our nature. We're born into sin. We're not, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. If it was the other way around, a person could just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop sinning, and I won't be a sinner anymore. And that's not how it works. So that first part was the reality of sin. And the next part is the reality of victory. We just talked about it in, 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 in verses 6 through 10, the reality of victory. The principle of victory is this, that, that we have that victory through Jesus Christ, through being identified with Him, through being uh, uh, baptized into the body of Christ when we are saved, through the picture that we show to everybody when we are baptized under the water and brought back up. You know, sometimes whenever people go to baptisms and, and, and they will say, you know, buried in the likeness of Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. It's that picture. That's the principle of victory. But there's another part here, and that's the practice of victory. Verses 11 through 14. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. The practice of victory. Now, we can have this knowledge and we have all these things and we know, we see, okay, all right, 
I'm saved. The power of sin over me no longer has influence. But we still have that daily struggle. And that's what we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the message tonight. There's still that daily struggle with us. Because even though we're delivered now in salvation from the power of sin, we're still living in this earth, right? We're still living in the presence of sin. I mean, all you got to do is turn the news on, right? And you see the presence of sin everywhere, right? So we're still living in it. It doesn't have power over us, but we're still living here. So we still have those times. So we may not automatically just start doing that. We have to begin living in a new mentality, a new way of thinking, a new focus. And this goes back to verse number 3. Go back with me to verse number 3 again of chapter 6. And sing again, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. And it goes back to that why, because the principle of victory here is in three words in that portion of Scripture that I just read to you, 11 to 14. Three words that we can daily do every day that will remind us and help us to think differently about our salvation, about our lives. And the first one is reckon. Look at verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Reckon. That's a good southern word, right? It's a good North Carolina word, I think. Uh, I had a lot of people growing up in the mountains. That's what they'd say. I reckon we're going to do this, right? They probably say that on this side of the state too, I imagine. I reckon we're going to go do something. But you know what that word means? It means count on it. Count on it. Counting the cost, but also counting that it's going to happen. Count on the fact that you are dead to sin. Reckon yourself dead to it. All these principles are true that we just talked about up to verse number 10. All these principles show and demonstrate, hey, we're separate from that old life. So reckon, count on it. When confronted with sin, remember that you can count on the fact that the power of sin is broken forevermore through the victory that Jesus Christ gave at the moment of salvation in your life. And when you're confronted with it, count it that your old nature is dead and no longer under the influence. That's the first word, reckon. Reckon. The next word in that passage that I just read to you there is yielded or yieldedness. In verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments. You know what yield is? It's that funny looking triangle thing that nobody really pays attention to it, right? Oh, look at that. There's a sign. I'm just kidding. I had a yield today that was supposed to be a four-way stop. I'll tell you this real quick. because it, it was a good thing I was turning. This is I was going out to see Mr. Mr. Horse this morning. So it was a good thing I was turning at this four-way stop down here to go to Lumberton, you know what I'm saying? Because somebody came from the other way, and they didn't. They yielded instead of stopped, and they kept going on down the road, you know, towards Bladenboro. But I said, it's a good thing that I was turning right, because if I was going straight, we would have had a little uh, fender. Well, it would have been more than a fender bender, but... But yielding means, you know, don't, in this case, it doesn't mean just, you know, stop, slow down, look Yielding in this means don't give up, don't surrender, don't give it over, don't change what you're doing. Yieldedness. Don't allow it. If you have to leave and go somewhere else, if you have to whatever, but don't yield yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness anymore. Or your members, don't yield your members and it could be a, a temptation of the mind. It could be a temptation of the body. It could be a temptation of speech. It does, but don't allow it to come day by day, a conscious choice to die to self and live to Christ. 
And the third word is dominion. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. It goes back to verse number 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more death, hath no more dominion over him. And we're in Christ, in our newness of life. So as death can no longer have dominion over Christ, and we are part of that, sin can no longer have dominion over us. It no longer tells us. We're not, we're not, it's, ma- it's not our master anymore. It's not something that we're constantly under anymore. We're under grace. And immediately Paul recognizes that, hey, you know, this is going to cause another question. Because if we're not under grace, if we're under the law, if we're not under the law, but we're under grace, Paul asks another question. What then? Shall we sin? It's like he's talking to his audience. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Can we indulge just a little bit, maybe? I mean, you know, if there's, you know, can we just, maybe just a little bit, you know? And Paul goes in and say, no, God forbid, God forbid that we continue to do that. And he begins to expound the next point here, the principle of slavery. Principle of slavery in these next few verses. Beginning in verse number 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you yield yourself servant to, that's who you're going to be a servant of. And that's what Paul is going on to say here. Whoever you obey, that's who you're going to be a servant of. Whoever you allow, that's who you're going to be a servant of. And Paul didn't just use, and I read this because I'm not smart, but, but whatever, Paul used the word for servant, for slave in there that was like the lowest possible slave in that time period in history. The lowest possible slave, you know. They have no ability to choose for themselves. They have no freedom. They have no will. Any will that they have, it doesn't matter what they want to do. It doesn't matter what they're thinking. It doesn't matter what their desire is. It doesn't matter what their aspiration is in life, what their goal is in life. It doesn't matter what their name is. It doesn't. This is the lowest slave in that time period. That's the word he used here. He said, if you're going to live that way, that's what, you're the lowest slave in this world when you obey in this way because you're yielding yourself to something that you don't have to yield it to. And Paul's saying that's a different kind of slavery. See, a lot of times people get this idea that, you know, freedom is just doing whatever you want to do, right? Man, I got, I'm free and I can do whatever I want to do now. You know, they wait, you know, they're, I'm 18 years old. I'm going out on my own. Or whatever, you know, whatever the case is. I'm going out. I'm doing it. But here's the thing. That kind of freedom ends up being slavery, right? Because then we're enslaved to whatever, we, whatever our, our desire is, whatever our lust is, whatever our, our, the, is the current theme of the moment, whatever is the current rage, the current way to live. That's what we're enslaved to now. We're no longer free. And that's the principle of slavery that's there. That whoever you're obeying, that's who your master is. Paul goes on in, chapter, in verse number 17, excuse me, to say that, hey, listen, you guys did good. You accepted Christ as your Savior. Okay, look at verse 17. This is, I don't want to do the Tommy Knight version. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, 
but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which is delivered to you. He says, hey, you did good. You heard the gospel and you got saved and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you did well. So don't live in the old light anymore. Live in the new light now. Live in the new way. And he says in verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now, here's the thing. Paul used that same word again. Well, wait a minute. You mean the, lo- the, sl- the servant that has no will of his own, that has, n- that has no aspirations, of- that has no desire? Yeah. Now you become the servant of God, and you give your will to God, and you give your life to God, and you give your desires to God, and you say, God, take my life and use me. I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to do what you want me to do now. They had received the gospel. They had a testimony of being Christians. Paul says, don't be the servant over here whose will is completely consumed by doing whatever you want to do and being completely consumed by unrighteousness and being completely consumed by continuing to live in sin as you were before you were saved. Be the servant now that's over here that's doing what God asked you to do, that's going out and witnessing to people, that's put your will aside and said, God, what is your will for my life? God, what do you want me to do in my life to serve you? How can I glorify you today, God? And live that way now. There's a lot of Christians, I think, in America that are Sunday, Wednesday Christians, or sometimes today, just Sunday Christians. But Christians should be Christians Sunday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because our will is completely and totally surrendered to Him. And that gives us the true victory and the true freedom. The freedom is found in Christ. It's not found in living a life enslaved to the way we were before we were saved. It's found in becoming uh, yielded to God and serving Him. Verse 19, Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you've yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness, to iniquity and to iniquity, now yield your members' servants to righteousness and to holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And he asked this question, what fruit did you have? What fruit is there in living that way? What is it that you have to show for it at the end of the season? What do you have to show for it? At the end of the season, we want to have those apples, right? Or we want to have those peanuts. Or we want to have uh, good cotton. Or you want to have uh, whatever, you know, corn that looks good and tastes good. Or or your vegetables. If you've got a vegetable garden at your house, you want to have good vegetables that you can eat right then. Or you can can those things and store them up for later. Whatever the case may be, that's what you want at the end of the season, You don't want the old, the bad. So serve God. Being made free from sin, that's the true freedom. The true victory is in Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection. And the true freedom is yielding ourselves as servants to Christ to become uh, uh, what He and yielding to righteousness and yielding to what He wants us to do and surrendering our will to Him. Paul finishes in the last two verses and we're done. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin, become the servants to God, you have fruit unto holiness, and the end is everlasting life. That's the good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the end of that everlasting life. And then we have this last verse here. We usually see it. Anybody ever heard of the Romans Road of Salvation? Okay, and we see those things, and this is usually part of the Romans Road of Salvation. And certainly that is uh, there again what it reminds us of. 
But here specifically in the context here, it does tell us again this right here. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation. Death is separation. And Paul also uses this verse to remind us of this fact, that if we do what those people were trying to teach at the beginning of chapter 6, to, to live in sin and abound in sin so that God's grace could be more abounded, to live in that false doctrine of grace, we're becoming the slaves to sin, and that sin causes death. It causes separation. We can have fellowship with God. We can have that oneness and that unity. We can, we can uh, as we come before God and bring our prayer requests, as we come to church and we worship Him either corporately or at home, you have a time uh, you know, where you read God's Word on your own or you go through your Sunday school lesson or whatever you do and you, and you absorb God's Word. It's there. It's fresh. It's new. It's in because God is close to you because that sin is not causing a separation between you and God. You're not harboring something in your life. You're not continuing to live in the way you were before and God is close and you feel that presence and you pray and you know He's listening because you're not separated. Death is separation. But the victory comes from Jesus Christ. And the freedom comes from surrendering our will to Him and allowing Him to guide us and direct us and give us our thoughts and lives. We can have victory and freedom in our lives and we can live the kind of Christian life that God wants us to live now when we do these things, when we remember these things tonight.